In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Today we are taking up the theme of Israel. Who Israel is, what Israel is. We're going to disambiguate a little bit, differentiate a little bit here, and the answer might surprise you as we talk about this, but uh, before we get into understanding the main point of the sermon here, I'd actually like for you to, (coughs) by a show of hands, show me uh, what you think of, first of all, when you hear the word Israel. Now, don't worry. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. I'm just asking you what comes into your mind. The first thing that comes into your mind when you hear the word Israel. Now, you hear the word Israel is the first thing that comes into your mind, the modern nation state in the Middle East that you hear about on the news. Raise your hand if that's the first thing that comes to your mind. I would guess that actually probably for a lot of us, that's the first thing that comes into our mind because, you know, we see news about Israel on the television. We hear about it on the radio. We read about it in magazines and on the Internet and so on. Certainly something that many people think about. Now, uh, when you hear the word Israel, maybe, uh, maybe you think about a different kind of nation and not the modern day nation state of Israel, but instead you think about the ancient kingdom that was ruled over by Saul and David and Solomon. Uh, so raise your hand if that's immediately what you think about the Saul, David and Solomon. Not many of you, actually none of you. That's interesting. What about, how about this? Maybe you don't think about the United Kingdom that was ruled over by Saul and David and Solomon, but instead you think about the northern kingdom of Israel after that kingdom separated in two, and there was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. You think about that separate kingdom of Israel to the north. Is that the thing that you think about? All right, I'm impressed, Joyce. That is that is impressive. That that is the first thing that you think about, um, because not many people know about that part of the history of the Old Testament. All right, now let's uh, let's go and let's talk about the people. So maybe instead of thinking about a nation, a modern day nation state, or instead of thinking about an ancient kingdom or other political entity. You think about a people, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Raise your hand if that's what you immediately think about. So we've got a couple of the 12 tribes of people, Israel. Again, there's really no wrong answer here. Okay. Now, let me ask you, when when you hear the word Israel, is the first thing that comes to your mind a person? So, uh, okay, a few of you. So this would be Jacob, right? The man who wrestled with God at the ford, the Jabbok ford in the Jordan River. And after he wrestled with God, he was given the name Israel, which means, well, quite literally, wrestles with God. A few of you think of Jacob, Israel. All right. Now let me ask you, when you hear the word Israel, is the first thing that comes to your mind yourself? Raise your hand. That's the first thing that comes to your mind. No hands. I'm not surprised. Okay. Not surprised at all. 
But, but I want for that to change through this sermon. Now, it's not to say that what first came into your mind is uh, at all wrong, but I want for you to, to go on a journey here to understand that when you hear Israel, that this is talking about you. God's promises to Israel are promises that are made to you, and the history of God's relationship to the people of Israel is your history as well. And that because of God's faithfulness shown to his people from generation to generation to generation, that you can be confident that God will yet remain faithful to you. So let's uh, disambiguate this a little bit. Uh, to, to understand a little bit more fully what uh, this word means. And we're going to talk about some of the various senses that this word means. So, uh, first of all, you know, most of us, our mind immediately, as, as we saw through the show of hands, and again, not a wrong answer, but most of us, our minds go to the modern nation state of Israel. And certainly that's the way the term gets to be used uh, very often these days. Now, I do want to indicate that when uh, we hear the modern nation of Israel, I want to indicate that really the scriptures have no promises with regards to this modern nation state, nor is this modern nation state a part of, of God's plan of salvation as laid out in the scriptures. Now, it's not to say that God isn't using this development in history towards his ends. He uses everything towards his ends. But, but certainly there are some Christians that make quite a bit out of the formation of the modern state of Israel and probably stretch the scriptures a great deal in the process. So I just want for that to be in your mind. Now, uh, in terms of Israel as a political entity, we certainly see that in the Bible. Uh, there are probably actually uh, several ways that it is described as a political entity in the Bible, but the two most common are the United Kingdom under uh, Saul and David and Solomon, and then eventually when that kingdom split into the northern kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel uh, versus the southern kingdom of Judah around Jerusalem, that certainly is something that we see in the scriptures. But that understanding of Israel or that use of the term Israel probably is secondary or even tertiary to other senses of Israel. So those nations in the Bible, those kingdoms in the Bible, really derive their name from the people of Israel, from the, the descendants of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. And while God hasn't necessarily laid up any promises for any modern day nation states, God has certainly made promises to the descendants of Jacob. The Israelites, according to the flesh. That is a, certainly a scriptural understanding of what Israel is, is a family of the flesh descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God has made promises to them. 
God made the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that from them a great nation would arise and that through that family all the nations of the world would be blessed. It's on account of that promise given to Abraham and his descendants that the Lord preserved them from generation to generation, was faithful to them despite their frequent faithlessness. And it's on account of those promises and God's continued faithfulness to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that St. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems confident that God yet will remain faithful to the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh and has an eager expectation and hope for the conversion of his fellow Israelites according to the flesh to true faith in Christ Jesus. But even this, in a sense, is derivative of another sense of the term Israel. Because Israel, before he was a tribe, before it was a nation, was a man, Jacob. Wrestled with God at the ford of the Jabbok River, and there was, was or the, the, the Jabbok Ford of the Jordan River, and there was given the name Israel, which means wrestles with God. And God renewed this covenant with Israel, with Jacob. Covenant given to Abraham, passed down through Isaac, and on to him, as we said, to make of them a great nation, and to bring the Messiah about through his Line. Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, or Israel, these were all men of faith. And that's where I want to really expand your understanding of what it means to be Israel. Abraham believed God, the scripture says. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And the scriptures indicate in, in many places, in Paul, as we read today, absolutely, but also in our Old Testament lesson, that to truly be Israel, the, the fullest sense of what it means to be Israel is to be a person of faith. You see, Israel showed faith when he, when he clung to God and asked him for a blessing. And you are Israel when you cling to God and look to him for his blessing as well. Uh, this is something that, again, we, we see very clearly expounded, for example, in Paul, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. We see Jesus acting this out with this Canaanite woman. But the idea that those not descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the flesh could be God's people is something that we see as well in the Old Testament and in the prophet Isaiah in our Old Testament lesson for today. And this would have been shocking, by the way, what we see here in Isaiah. Utterly shocking to the people to whom this was first preached. 
There's only one stone from the temple that we can identify and point to today and say this was part of the temple. Now, I'm fudging a little bit on the facts here because it was from a second temple, but, but still it illustrates a good principle about why this would have been shocking to the people to whom this was originally preached. Utterly shocking. So this stone was found by an archaeologist in the early 1900s. He might say to me, Pastor Chris, isn't there this wailing wall in Jerusalem? And in a sense, yes, but, but really that was just a retaining wall for a platform that the temple was built. There's one stone that we can say was actually a part of the temple complex. And an archaeologist in the early 1900s found it just by accident. He was walking around in Jerusalem. And there built into an, an old building was a stone that said, if you go further than this point and you are not an Israelite, you will be put to death. You see, that stone was a sign warning those who are not Israelites, what they thought were Israelites, those descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, according to the flesh, warning them from going further into the temple. It was thought that that's not where they belonged. But Isaiah shows us something different. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. God, through Isaiah, is saying that to be God's people ultimately is not something of the flesh, but rather of faith and trust and confidence in God that one can be God's people insofar as he or she believes. Who is Israel? Who is the true Israel? Those descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob according to the flesh. God has promises laid up for them. The fullness of God's promises are laid up for all those who believe. And if you believe, you are truly a part of that family line. You are Israel. And so when you hear the word Israel, what I hope for for you is that at top of your mind, you would think of yourself as one of God's holy chosen people. And this makes a difference for our life of faith as Christians. 
First of all, it opens up the Old Testament to be testimony not regarding another people foreign from us and other than us, but rather to be testimony regarding our forefathers and regarding us. And regarding above all, God's faithfulness to His people. You see, that is a consistent story throughout the Old Testament is God's faithfulness to His promises. God's faithfulness to His people. And we can see this time and time and time again. We can see this, for example, in the account of God rescuing His people Israel from their slavery in Egypt. Something that strikes me over and over again as I read this account is that it seems as if the people of Israel have forgotten the one true God. It's really interesting how it talks about how they are looking for salvation. It says that they cry out. And it's just a general crying. It doesn't say they cry out to Yahweh. It doesn't say they cry out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It just says that they cry. And they're heard not because of the faithfulness of their cries, but rather they're heard on account of God's faithfulness to them. On account of the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even as God's people forget him later on, God yet remains faithful to them. Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Isaiah. And, and Isaiah was written in a time of great crisis. It was a crisis of faith above all. Because the people had, had gone and worshipped other gods. Were guilty of idolatry. That idolatry led them into, in essence, a denial of their brotherhood as God's people and caused them to treat each other instead of as brothers and sisters, instead treating each other as enemies and as people to exploit. Their unfaithfulness to God led to unfaithfulness with each other. And yet there is one who remains faithful God Himself, who even though the people have brought upon themselves the destruction that Isaiah prophesies at the hands of the Assyrians and the hands of the Babylonians, yet on the other side of that is redemption and God's promise that He will restore them once again. That He will remain faithful to His promise to raise up a Redeemer from their midst who will bless all the nations of the world. A promise implicit here in our Gospel lesson, or rather our Old Testament lesson today. And so when you read the Old Testament, you can see consistently that God has been faithful. Faithful to His people. That God keeps His promises to His people. And therefore, you can be confident that God will keep His promises to you. 
God has promised to forgive you your sins when you repent. The blood of Jesus. Therefore, when you repent of your sins, you can be confident that no more guilt remains. No more shame. But that before the Father, you stand blameless, utterly free and forgiven from your sins. You can be confident that in that freedom, that you will be delivered from what continues to oppress you in this world. One of the most wonderful things about understanding that the, the, the story of the people of God in the Old Testament is our story, is that we can see analogies to our life now, too, as well. You see, the people of God were sore oppressed in their Egyptian slavery, and yet God redeemed them and rescued them by rescuing them by taking them through the Red Sea and delivering them on the other side to the Promised Land. So God does this for you as well. You have been rescued by a flood, not the flood of the Red Sea, but instead the flood of holy baptism. By this you have been freed from what oppresses you. You have been freed from your sins. You have been freed from death. You have been freed from the devil. And therefore you can be confident that even as he delivered his ancient people to the promised land, that he will deliver you as he has promised into the great and ultimate promised land, the new heavens and the new earth that will come when Jesus returns in power and in might and in glory. And so therefore this understanding that you are Israel, it transforms your understanding of the past. It transforms your understanding of the Old Testament so that that story becomes your story. It transforms your understanding of your past, knowing that you are freed from your sins and transgressions. But it not only transforms your understanding of the past, but also your perception of the future, so that you look to the future in confidence and hope and gladness, knowing that every day that passes is a day closer to the redemption that draws near when Christ returns as he has promised. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what great and wondrous things the Lord has laid up for his people. What great and wondrous things he has done for his people Israel. What great and wondrous things are yet laid up for his people Israel. And therefore my hope for you is that when you hear this term, when you think of God's people, above all, you would think of yourself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.